the things we don't want to do. David must have asked himself, how in the world did I do this? Do I love God? Is God first in my life? He knew he loved God. He knew that God was first in his life. He just didn't understand why he did what he didn't want to do. It was like there was a force within him pulling him towards sin. It's called the flesh. And David, like many of us, experienced that God wanted him to go one way, and he ended up somewhere completely different. Hasn't that been your experience at some point? You said, Lord, I'm going this way. I'm going to do this thing. And you set out and you're pursuing Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden it's like there's, there's this force pulling you a different direction. And you find yourself where what was unthinkable to you. And you say, how did I get here? How did I end up in this mess? Because I was setting out to seek God and to do his will. And here I am. And how did this happen? Now, you might be delusional and never have had that experience. (laughs) I I think every Christian who's honest with themselves has had that experience. Romans 7, later in 7, verse 14 through 16, kind of gives a picture of, of that experience when Paul was under the law. For we know that the law is spiritual. He says, but I'm a flesh sold into bondage to sin for that which I am doing. I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very things I hate. But if I do the very things I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is bad. No, that it's good. You see, sometimes we think, well, the problem is the law. But the problem isn't the law. The problem is us. Why do we get mad at the state trooper, the policeman who pulls us over for speeding? Because he's picking on us. If we don't wear our seatbelt repeatedly and we get pulled over, for example, we can't say, well, why are you picking on me for not wearing my seatbelt? Maybe the first time. Now, is the problem the law or is the problem us? The problem is us. They still shouldn't do it, though, right? And, and especially not twice. It's just not fair. That'll teach you to give a testimony. <laughs> Why do we do these things that we don't want to do? Because we were born with a sin nature. We talked about it this morning. You don't have to teach your kids to do wrong. Sin comes natural to all of us. All the law does is reveal to us God's holy and perfect standard of acceptance. And Paul, he describes this struggle that he himself had experienced as he lived, I believe, a believer, but still trying to live under the law. The problem is never the law. The law is good. The the law only reveals my hopelessness. You see, if you become born again and you attempt to live under the law, the Romans 7 struggle will be yours. But if we had time, we could go all the way to the passage and realize that who's going to deliver me from this situation? He says, I thank God. You see, friends, we don't have to live in that condition. 
But attempting to live under a law system will cause our lives to turn into a great paradox. Because the law entices sin. The more laws, the more desire to sin. The law's purpose was not to liberate us from sin. The law's purpose was to show us our need for a Savior. So if you're struggling with sin, you need to go and find out where's the law in your life. Because you're living under the law, because the law will always entice and produce more sin. The law shows us our need for forgiveness, but we needed much more than forgiveness. We needed a new heart, a new spirit. And David, he cried out to change him and to make him a new creation. You see, friends, we talked about it again earlier. No system of works can provide you with the security you need. The law can only produce guilt, condemnation, and death. And yet Jesus came to give us abundant life. And we have abundant life in him because we have his very life. So how do we get to the place of no condemnation? Let's look at Romans 7, 1 through 4 again. He says, Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which... Uh, hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Now, don't miss it. In verse one, he, he gives us here. He tells us the instruction for I speak to them that know the law. This is for people who are under the law. And then in verse three. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Here is the, the, the clincher in verse number four. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, remember, the context of the passage tells us that Paul isn't giving instructions about uh, marriage and divorce and remarriage, but to illustrate a relationship between law and grace. The law has jurisdiction only as long as the person is alive. Let's illustrate it. Um, are there any law enforcement people in here? Okay, good, we're safe. <clears throat> Dave's looking around. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Now you know where that, that, that uh, message click it or ticket came from. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> so say they're in pursuit. The, the, there's a bank robbery in Roner Park or wherever. And there's a bank robbery. And they've got the description. They chase after the guy. They're looking for him. They're hunting him down. And uh, all of a sudden they come upon him. But there's a problem. He's dead. Do the police grab him, throw him in the back of the car, cuff him, take him to jail and say, you're going to serve your go to trial and serve your sentence? That means what? No? You don't think so? Okay, no. So say they actually catch him alive. They take him to trial. He's convicted. He's given a sentence of 30 years. In the 28th year, he has a heart attack. And he dies. Do they say, hey, buddy, you ain't getting out of this thing early. You're staying right there for the next two years. You say, well, of course not. Because once he's dead, the law... 
ceases to have jurisdiction over him, he's a corpse. Now, once he dies, the law ceases to have authority. It shouldn't be a hidden fact to you Bible-believing Christians that you have died with Christ. We were crucified with him. We were buried with him. We rose again. But we got to look at this passage as we see how we have died with him so that the law would no longer have power over us. Now, he uses the example of marriage. He says, if a woman goes with a man other than her husband, she's an adulterer. That makes sense. In the same way, because of our sinful nature, we needed the law. People ask me, well, how do you raise your kids? I mean, you talk about grace all of the time. How do you raise your kids without law? I said, until my children come to Christ, I am Moses. Two tablets of stone. But when they come to Christ, I need to relate to them under grace. To teach them to respond to the Spirit. To listen to the Spirit because the law has served its purpose. We were born married to our husband, Mr. Law... And he is the husband of all who are born. Mr. Law is a perfect husband. Unlike most of us, uh, he is an attractive guy. In fact, he is perfect. He's holy. He's pure. And yet we are born with a sinful nature. We have this great tendency towards evil. Uh, Our husband, Mr. Law, comes home to us and he says, Okay, what sins have you committed? We say, well, maybe you should ask which sins we haven't committed. We can cut out some time here. We tell him, listen, I failed. But, you know, Mr. Law, this husband of ours, he fails to understand that, that his wife can't do better. And he does nothing to motivate her. He just demands perfect obedience. Mr. Law... He doesn't have any emotions or feelings. She hates him because she's married to a stone. Oh, but the woman, she has a lover. And he thinks, this lover, how can I have my love? Oh, how I would motivate her. How I would encourage her. But there's a problem. She's married. He can't marry her, Mr. Grace, because she's married already. So he thinks, well, maybe I'll kill her husband. But he can't because the husband is perfect. He has no flaws. So he says, well, I've got an idea. I'll kill her. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's exactly what he does to us. Because he loves his creation... He desires to restore us. He he can't undo the law. The law is perfect. He takes us and he kills us. He takes us to the cross and he buries us with him and he raises us up again. You see, Jesus took us and killed us and rose us up again so that he could marry us himself. Jesus, my friends, was a savior, not a martyr. He had no need to die. He died because we needed to die on the cross. It is more than just deserving to die. That is true. But we needed to die. He died to liberate you and me from Mr. Law. 
The death of a martyr is an injustice. But Christ died to do justice to sin and to redeem man. Jesus died for us and we died in him. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died, then we're all dead. And that he died for all that they which live should henceforth live unto themselves, but un, not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. And rose again. You see, he had to become what we were, separated from God, in order to redeem us. The cross is never going to give you freedom until you see yourself on the cross. You see Jesus on the cross, but you need to see yourself there with Jesus. Don't see him there alone. Remember, the law did not die. You did. Verse 4 said, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law of the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now listen, friends. If you're here this evening and you're in Christ, you have a new husband for the purpose of bringing forth fruit unto God. Now, don't be mistaken. Mr. Law is alive and well, but be careful because he's a widower and he's looking for a girlfriend. And where do you think he goes to find a girlfriend? Church. It's the best place. You see, Mr. Law doesn't want to be a widower. So he comes to church so he can find a girl. It's a wonderful thing to be married to a, a person who understands us perfectly. We were married to a stone. Now we're married to a person. And he is now our head. <coughs> he puts within me the desire to be good. He changes my heart's desires. There is no friend like him. But then what happens? We, we realize we need this new husband. We're married to him. But we forget who he's made us to be and we go to Jesus for forgiveness. But we, we return to Mr. Law for perfection. We fail. And then we go back to Christ. We fall, we confess, and we get back up trying to do better. Committing ourselves only to find ourselves in failure once again. This is living with two husbands. For the Christian to go back to the law for acceptance, for sanctification, is spiritual adultery. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56 and 57 said, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Where does the power of sin come from? The law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand it, friends? Without the law, sin has no power. I have to tell a story on myself. <clears throat> when we were missionaries in Thailand, we would uh, sometimes go to Bangkok to um, see civilization. Anytime you needed to do anything like passports, visas, go to a doctor, you had to go to Bangkok. And it was about... Uh, it's a thousand kilometers, what is that? 600 miles. 
And we'd go and we would plan our whole time there around what restaurants we were going to eat at. <clears throat> the kids, it would just be a family event. We'd say, well, we're going to go here for lunch and then here for dinner and there and there for lunch and there for dinner. And, there. and we'd had it all mapped out. And we had this nice little guest house for missionaries that we could stay in, relatively expensive. And in that guest house, they had a TV room. And it was nice because we had no TV or anything like that. So we'd go in there and I went in there one day to watch the news and catch up on what's going on in the world. And there was a sign in there and it said, don't turn to channels 9 through 24. So I thought, hmm. So I looked around to make sure that nobody was looking made sure the door was shut, and I flicked channel 9 through 24. Because if they don't want me to look at channel 9 through 24, there must be something awfully good on there. Only to discover that there was just no broadcast on channel 9 to 24. I have to admit that I have this great tendency towards violating the law. I mean, if you if you painted this room and you put up signs that said, don't paint, don't touch paint, wet paint, I would have to sneak over there and try to see if it really was wet. It says don't touch. And I have to, you know, sneak a little touch, see if it's still tacky. Why? I have no idea. (laughs) There isn't a speed limit sign that I've really ever wanted to obey. I really didn't have any desire to go more than 70, but when they raised the speed limit to 70 on some roads, I always found myself calculating in my mind, how fast can I go without those troopers pulling me over? Nobody else does that kind of stuff, but... (laughs) The reality is we want to do whatever is forbidden of us. People are afraid of abandoning the law because they fear a reckless life. But the only way to live in true holiness is to live apart from the law. Not lawless people, but people who don't live under the law, but people who live under the law of the love of Christ, recognizing that he planted his life in us so that we could walk in relationship with him. The problem is the law doesn't keep us from sin. It just forces us to put our sin under cover when our focus is not to be sin, but to be Jesus Christ. We are still tempted to sin, but we have a whole new relationship to sin. Sin no longer has power over us. We deal with temptation, not from a position of weakness, but strength. Not from a position of defeat, but from a position of victory. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. A law focus will always produce more sin. We are now free from sin, so our focus can be Christ. Romans 7, 5 and 6 says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for our death. What kind of fruit does the law produce? Fruit unto death. It will always produce the same thing, to bring forth fruit and death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Friends, 
we now serve in newness of love. We have a new covenant, not the letter which kills, but with the Spirit. Christ didn't say, I'll leave you a book. He said, I'll send you a comforter. Christ in us is the hope of glory. He is a well springing up within our lives. We are to be a spirit-led people. We who are led by the Spirit, the Scripture says, are the sons of God. Quit living under the letter of the law and be led by the Spirit. The Old Covenant is a law system demanding that you follow the letter of the law. But the New Covenant is a grace system where its members are led by the Spirit. We are to be living in relationship with our Lord, trusting Him to lead us and guide us into His perfect and good, acceptable will. The minister of the Spirit brings peace and life. The minister of the letter tells us what ought to be and then condemns us. Galatians 5.18 says, But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. We've got to stop the kind of carrot and stick method of motivation and let the love of the new covenant take control and trust that the Holy Spirit is quite capable of accomplishing all that he desires. You can't have two husbands and be at peace. You're under the Spirit or under the law, but not both. The fruit of your life is evidence of where you are. And so I want you to take a minute and ask yourself, is there life or death in my relationships? Is there peace or condemnation? Because the fruit of the relationships that you have is the evidence of where you live. You can say that you live in grace, but if your relationships are full of death, it's not grace, it's law. Paul said that that we've been called to be ministers of a new covenant so that there can be life. You can't be married to Jesus and live like before. Make time for an intimate relationship with him, but don't be a customer of Jesus when he's giving you the right to be a friend. You can't live with two husbands and have rest. Check out your death certificate to Mr. Law and then be a faithful spouse to Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him and you're not willing to be led by the spirit, then go to the law because it's better than nothing. But why settle for less than God's best? In Ezekiel, this, earlier we talked about Ezekiel 36, and he says, listen, this is the promise. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to place my life in you. I'm going to take that old heart of stone out and replace it with a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you my own spirit, and I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. But if we don't have the law, how are we going to do the right things? We're going to listen to the Spirit of God. We talked about this some, but I, I, I know in my own raising of my kids, so many times I put them under law after they were born again, and then I couldn't believe why they didn't follow him. As soon as they get out from under Moses, they went and did this wild stuff. So I'm like, what are you doing that for? 
You know better than that. You ever said that to your teenagers? You know better than that. Your mom and dad raised you better than that. Moses and Mrs. Moses. <laughs> and you were perplexed. Why? But we raised them to respond to law. But as soon as you're out from under the law, you go crazy. Instead of teaching them to walk in the spirit, to listen to God's voice within them, guiding them into what is his good and perfect will. Listen to him and let him make the real victory that is yours in Christ, because all who are in Christ have died to Mr. Law. You are no, you are no longer what the law defined you as. When you lived under the law, if you lied, you were a liar. If you stole, you were a thief. If you killed, you were a murderer. But in the new covenant, he places his own life within us. And the law can no longer define who we are, not our successes or our failures. But our identity comes from our new birth in him. So that we are the very beloved of God. Do you define people by their behavior or by their relationship? Listen, you can only be faithful to one husband. So we need to take out that certificate of death anytime we're tempted to go back to that first husband and remember what he was like. And remember that we're dead to him. We have a completely new relationship, a new husband who calls us to be his beloved and he lives within us. Now he's in you. Would you let him live through you? Because you're under a new covenant of promise. The commandments have been transformed into promises. He's with us, our guidance. He's our light. And if we'll yield to him, he'll manifest his character in us and through us. All you have to do with the promise is believe it. So tonight, who are you married to? Mr. Law or Mr. Grace? Do you want your sin to remain undercover or do you want to experience victory? Are we going to be a people who still throw stones or are we going to be a people who bring life? It just depends who we're married to. And what we need to do is say, listen, who or what is the fruit of the relationships that I have right now? What's my relationship with my spouse, my children, my neighbors, my co-workers? Do they find death or life? Do they find peace or condemnation? Because if you live with people under the law, you'll drive them away. You'll bring death. But God came to be your new husband through his grace. Don't live in spiritual adultery because you'll be frustrated, and so will everybody else. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Lord, we thank you for who you are for us, that you came to liberate us from the law so that we could be married to you, a husband who loves us, understands us, motivates us, encourages us, picks us up when we fall nurturing us, leading us step by step, moment by moment, day by day. 
Lord, that you might produce in us fruit unto God. Lord, I pray that we as a people, that we forsake this spiritual, adul spiritual adultery where we go back and forth between husbands. Lord, that we would repent of this putting others under law when you came to give us your own life. Holy Spirit, reveal to us the death in relationships around us in our own life that we might forsake it to live in this beautiful love relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.